Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday night. Tomorrow night is uh, Sukkot. I was really going to do a bio first, but my team uh, persuaded me to say a few words about Sukkot, especially since some people are listening seven hours ahead, even 14 hours ahead. So I probably missed that. Uh, I'll just share a few thoughts. This is being sponsored by Mishpacha Savansky, who was in Erzish all this week. And um, in general, this week is covered. Next week, I hope somebody will step forward and uh, help with the sponsorships. Anyway, I just want to throw a few ideas out there um, you can play with if you wish to on, on Sukkot. Because um, Sukkot is a striking holiday, but it's also kind of funny because Sukkot is a holiday of Gullus. Right? You're celebrating Gullus. You're not celebrating the idea of being in Gullus, but I guess you're surviving. You're celebrating the Jewish survival in Gullus. Now, I don't mean that to be homiletical, though it sure sounds like a nice sermon, but seriously, Basukos Teshu Shibas Yamim, Ki Basukos Yoshafti Yisrael, Ki Basukos When the Jews went out for the first time um, from Egypt into the desert, they were in Sukkot, whether this type of Sukkot, that type of Sukkot, probably both. Um, they, in other words, they survived in difficult circumstances, with the sukkah being a symbol of Hashgacha um, Pratis, divine providence. That's the essence of the whole holiday. Everything else is zeal gemor, you know. <clears throat> At least, that's how I understand it. All I can ever tell you is the way I see it. I could be right, I could be wrong. That's how I understand it. <clears throat> so it's kind of funny, because it means as follows. When these laws are given in, in Emor, so basically what's happening is like this. <clears throat> Meanwhile, you guys are in the desert. Soon you'll be in Israel, one day. When you're in Israel, you'll settle down and have your own farms and this kind of junk. And within a few years, certainly a generation or two, you'll forget what it was like to be in Gullus. You'll be as rooted in Israel as the Goyim are in their countries, and that's not true. <laughs> right? The French are in France long term. The Russians are in Russia long term. The Turks in Turkey and so on and so forth. The Jews are never anywhere long term in the natural sense. With the Jews, it's always like a Hashkacha Pratis thing, is a divine caprice. If God feels like it, he throws it here, otherwise, he throws it there. So, you guys will soon be in Israel. I do not want you ever forget that when you left Egypt, you know, you dwelled in these things. And so, you should remember what it was like before you had your own country. Interesting. Am I right or am I wrong? That, that before you had your own country. <clears throat> Now, to tell you the truth, it takes a certain type of person, may I say something of an elevated nature, a person of an elevated character, to retain that kind of sensibility in the midst of prosperity, and it usually doesn't happen, and it may very well be, as we all know from the famous story in Nehemiah, that it didn't happen. Even though God told them to do it, they didn't do it. We see a lot of that in the Bible. I'm referring, of course, always, uh, of course, 
to the famous story in Echemi where it says nobody had kept the uh, sukkah since the time of Yeshua. Now, I know there are many ways to explain it, and I've done that in the past. But I'm doing a different mahal today. And let's say you go with so, those in Farshem, there are some, who say, get over it, <laughs> smoke it. The Jews didn't keep sukkahs. I said, derisive, ain't the only derisive they didn't keep. They should have. I, what about Dovin Melch and the Tzadikim? I don't know. I don't know. I could, if you pressed me, I would give a terrace. Right? I would give a terrace and say like this. For Dovin Melch, the real circle was the state of mind, which you say in the Dovin Shamari, Psalm 27. When David Melch is talking about that sukkah, that's a divine providence, mamish. When David says in that psalm, he ain't talking about sitting in a physical place. Now, again, it could be read that way, and on other times I have interpreted it that way, but it's also not that way. And he's speaking in lofty terms, but the lofty is a terrible word. <clears throat> so he's speaking in mental terms. He ain't going nowhere, but in his mind, he sees, he perceives, he feels the covering and protecting nature of God's providence. If you're Dovah Melchi, God got you through a lot of scraps. Unharmed, lots of battles. Unharmed, lots of betrayals. Unharmed. And so he says, Shifti Beis Hashem, Yitzvenei Nebesuki Yomra, as Ponech Hashem Avakesh, these are all mental languages. If I see God's face, these are all mental states. At the end of the day, religion is about a mental state. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that happens in, in religious significance happens in the mind, or not. Like when the four guys went into Pardis, it was in the mind. Now, it wasn't a fantasy, Nothing wrong with fantasy. People write fantasy books. But it's a different genre. <laughs> then I'm talking about it really happened, <clears throat> but it happened in the mind, not in the physical. So those are very lofty and uh, spiritual type terms. But, so maybe, I mean, I, I'm just making this up. Maybe when it says nobody made it a sukkah, like, you know, since Joshua's time, maybe it's a deacon like David you know, thought about the sukkah in the, I don't want to use the Kabbalistic sense, but you know what I mean when I say it. Those in the mental, in the spiritual sense. I repeat what I said before. All the mitzvahs are there to make you have a certain mental state. Right? Amuna, Bitachan, Dvekas, these are all goals, high goals. The mitzvah is supposed to get you there if they're done correctly. Read the Mesil Sharm if you don't want to talk about. Um, but the goal is to have a certain state of mentality. Right? That's why. The uh, Nebuchadnezzar says so famously, remember this? He says, when a Jew has a bad thought, a machshavarah, he does a lot worse than Titus did. Because Titus only burned the building called the Temple in Jerusalem, which was a physical building that could be rebuilt. And a Jew, he says, speaking Arizal style, you're destroying or you're causing damage to the mental temple. No, it's the spiritual temple, the metaphysical temple in your mind, which is a, a Migdash. So the, all of these kind of bespeak the fact that a sukkah could be conceived possibly in a spiritual men, mental way. If you're talking about Hamon Ab, it seems if you follow that in the Chemivart, 
that historically what happened was the Jews got to Israel, they settled down on their own farms. You're supposed to go out and spend eight, seven days in a sukkah. They didn't do it. They're happy that they chagasi, whatever it is, chagakotzir, and so forth. And they're saying, you know, fine. Um, they brought their carbonus, this and that and the other. Mind you, the Mishkan runs it according to oil. The Mishkan, you have the carbonus achad, pari achag, mismatin, and all that business. But the average Joe out there, the average family, you know, who knows? Who knows? Because it's hard to sensitize later generations in the hardships that were undergone by the earlier generations. Even today, for me, I grew up, the Holocaust was yesterday memory. They're very real. My grandchildren, I, you know, I can't expect that. Can't expect it. It's not the way the mind works. You get it? And Kal B'chomer, to tell somebody all oh, the sufferings that the Jews had in World War One, oh, it was terrible. And it was terrible. I mean, that's like talking about the times of Julius Caesar. You understand? It's long ago. So the memories in such a way, this is goof of the meaning of Mitzvah Sukkah, Apipashtas, which is, when you get to Eretz Yisrael, once a year go out of your house, and remember, Teshu Basukah Zaman, Yedu Dorosechem Ki Basukos, Hoshaftis B'nei Yisrael, Hotziyah Zaman Yisrael. So, you're supposed to be living in Israel, and going out into the Sukkah, and imagining, because remember, all the mitzvahs are for mental. And you're imagining, what was it like before we had a country? What was it like before we had a land? What was it like in my family before we owned this farm? Which farm we got when we conquered Eretz Yisrael that was done by a lottery, which was run by Ruch HaKodesh. So God wants me to have uh, to have these, the, the, these issues, you understand? I mean, God wants me to think this way. Now, um, easier said than done. Easier said than done. Um, so what happened was that when the Jews in Eretz Yisrael, it seems they weren't crazy about reliving a ritual that minds them when they did not have a country. Okay, I mean, I get that. It's interesting that the Tanakh talks about in time of Nehemiah when the Mamish were just coming back. I mean, that generation you could totally hear. Because they'd just gone through seven years of Gauls. And so Tanan, not having a country, was yesterday. And having a new country as they did in time of Ezra Nehemiah, with all the problems they had over there that you read in the book of Ezra Nehemiah, went to Kayim with the, 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 the Kusin and the, the Arabs and all the attacks and junk like that. With all that, they were barely, I mean, they were, they were, they were trying to hold on to the new one. And so then you can totally hear, oh, everybody should make a sukkah to remind us what what it was like recently. And I'm sure in the generation of Nehemiah, you say like this, this was like recently, it makes us appreciate Eretz Yisrael that we just got it back. You know, now that I'm telling you this, it's like this is a good word I'm saying. Uh, it just came to my mind. What you, If you want, you can go, I mean, you can do whatever you want. I'm just throwing this out of you. What does it mean nobody made a sukkah? I'm surprised I never saw this before. But sometimes if I just sheet the ball, you get an idea. Um, here we go. What does it mean that they nobody had, had done, made a sukkah like this since time of Yeshua? Because Yeshua was the one who first entered Eretz Yisrael. And Nehemiah was also just, just entered Yisrael. So he had that same emotional feeling. You know what i They had the same emotional feeling. All of which has to do with the fact that the sukkah 
represents non-Eretz Yisrael and Golis and all the rest of it. And, if you want to be fancy about it, even though the Bnei Yisrael went in Golis, Shechinta Begoluso. Right? The Hashem was with them. They didn't lose their status. And you could, you know, if you have a certain old-fashioned paganistic notion of, um, what shall I say, old-fashioned paganistic notion of uh, of your gods, you say, yes, when we're in the country, we're under the reshots of this god. When we leave the country, we lose it. And Sukkot tells you, no, even when you weren't there, it's Israel, you still like God. You see? It has that universalistic quality, which is maybe why Hashem says to the guy, you know, I'll give you a mitzvah sukkah, you know, they can't handle it, you know, famous Agatha. <laughs> These are all ideas. Now, when they had this uh, concept of sukkah, whatever its problematic status was during the first commonwealth and the second by Shrishan by Shani, let's call it that way. But obviously, when the Jews went into permanent Gaulus, you know what I mean, after the second basin was destroyed, long-term Gaulus, so, uh, then the sukkah is kind of funny. Let's put it this way. We who live in Gaulus, the sukkah is kind of superfluous. <laughs> you see, don't forget the Bnei. Unless you want to have a very narrow definition, don't forget the miracles that God performed for your ancestors when they left Egypt. You know, the sukkah of in Israel. Of course you can learn like that, no question. But you don't have any mitzvahs, mitzvahs that seem to go in that direction. We sit in the sukkah, you know. The little vestry don't seem to go in that direction. You understand? You don't have a seder or something like that. We should have a sukkah seder. I'm serious. Uh, this is going to be funny, but I'm serious. It was to commemorate the many miracles that were done for our ancestors when they were in the desert. So sukkahs would be a like matching holiday to Pesach, to Passover. On Pesach, you have a Seder, listen closely, in which you commemorate the miracles that characterized the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, and those the ten plagues culminating in the Exodus from Egypt. And you have various ceremonies in the Seder that have evolved to remember the plagues and the different stages of that event. And then on Sukkot, you have a holiday in which you have a certain Seder, and you do the foods and this and the other, in which you remember, this is Kenega Damon, this is Kenega de Be'er Miriam, this is Kenega de Anane Kovid, this, this Mitzvah de Raisa is, you know, Kenega, I don't know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, the, 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 the ark that went out and zapped things, you know. I mean, I, there's a million miracles happening in the desert. So if that's what Sukkot is all about, you'd think that the holiday would have unfolded in that direction instead of just sitting in the Sukkot. So it seems to me, sitting here, that the basic, simple idea of Sukkot is don't forget you were in the Golas. And Hashem was with you and, and, and preserved you in the Golas. You were mamish in the desert in which, even without enemies, it's li- literally not possible to um, uh, survive. As we all know, they were on short rations. Every day the mon had to fall without fail. If the mon ever didn't come, they're up the creek. Every day you had to have the water supply. This is real life. Okay? So you literally, it's like, a, you know, in a starvation situation, which, but there's a, a soup kitchen. 
You know? I think I told you. I was once in um, Lithuania a couple years ago when one of my trips. And um, I think it was in Panabish. And um, it was a, it's really tour guide. I don't want to go through the whole story again. The point is, he said, like this, this street used to be called Joint Street. Now it's under the Lithuania. It's a different name. It was part of the Jewish ghetto. I mean, before Hitler, the Jewish neighborhood. And it was the street was named for the Joint Distribution Committee. Why? Because during World War One, there was a mass starvation in Eastern Europe, for various reasons. That time, the American Jews stepped up to the plate. This is a famous historical event. I will say that the American Jews pushed aside their religious and other differences and formed what we call the Joint Distribution Committee. Orthodox and conservative form and secular and socialist. It's a famous incident. And the idea was simple. Starving people in Eastern Europe, it doesn't matter religious or not religious, they need food. And what they set up was soup kitchens everywhere. And they continued into the 1920s and 30s until Hitler, of course. So you had many Jews who were impoverished in the 1920s and 30s for a whole bunch of reasons that will be too, too long to go into. And the Amish, you know, lived every day by going to the joint place and you could get soup for breakfast, soup for lunch, and soup for dinner. You know? For the breakfast, it was, you know, they, 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 they made appropriate food. So that's the Jewish people in the desert, you know? You're stuck out there, you're impoverished, in the sense there's no food. In the desert, there's no food. Every day you got to get food. So this is a, a tangible example of Hashgach practice. This is what you're supposed to remember. Why? Well, with hindsight, unfortunately, we know why. Now, I'm just being bold over here, but you know why. What do I mean? At the time, they're saying in, in, in the book of Vayikra, don't forget the institution of Sukkah. What it really was saying was, one day you'll need it. Because the same Chumash that says you need a Sukkah predicts the Tochacha. Matter of fact, not long afterwards. One's in Emor and one's in Bechukosai. And that same Chumash tells you that there'll be a time when you've been Golis. And not only that, a tough Golis. You know all that stuff. You know that. Um, so that's enough to terrify somebody. Now you got a sukkah. The sukkah is a symbol, therefore, of the Jewish survival in the Golas. Only through the Ashkach And that, I guess, is the meaning that the Shach has to be, you know, the way it is. Although, I always have a problem with those explanations. I like them. Because when you learn the Gemara, you know, let's put it this way. Really, you could make a, a Nisarim. You could use planks, couldn't you? Right? It's only a Xera against the Tikra. But really, you could make a roof that's pretty tight. But I guess the idea must be like this. No matter how tight and secure against the rain you made your roof, and you know, you can make it very thick. They say the Chassidim in Russia used to make it very thick or the winter. At the end of the day, it's flimsy and, it doesn't, and, and, and it's fragile. And the existence of the Jew in Golis is, is flimsy and fragile. So the Sukkah has a meaning for you and I now, speaking about the Jews living in Chutzlarts, although unfortunately it also applies to Jews living in Israel, we ain't there yet. 
not Mashiach time yet, in which you have the fragility, you understand? And the circuits are like this. You build your house as best you can, and then you rely on Ashkacha Pratis, otherwise nothing will work. Without the Ashkacha Pratis. Um, it sounds for me, I'm serious. Yes, I'm serious. And so, in the course of history, unfortunately, the sukkah became, uh, the sukkah became, uh, what do you call it? Uh, really, the symbol of the wandering Jew. Uh, which is not great, but that's what it is. The wandering Jew. Now, the, um, how should I put it? As we all know, a sukkah can be very simple, it can be elaborate. This is the situation of the Jew and Golas. In some places, they've had a very cheap existence, hand to mouth. And so, as we say today, four walls or three walls or two walls in a tefach, and some, you know, psule, goren v'yakov, you know, some, some cheap uh, material. Most Jews, I guess, in the history of Golas have lived poor. On the other hand, some people have rich sukkah. Some people rich, lived rich. I always like to remember every year my favorite story when Queen Victoria is said to have visited um, Rothschild Mansion, I think when they put up Watterson in the 1860s, and then invited the Queen of England, Queen uh, Victoria. There's a picture of it in one of the books I have where the Queen plants a little tree. That's like a ceremony, you know on the uh, grounds of the palatial estate. And Rothschild put up a sukkah in front of the queen. So that's good. You know, every Anochi. Uh, this would be Ferdinand Rothschild, I think. I think. And um, then they had the queen for lunch. They brought her to lunch, which was in the sukkah, because it was a sukkah. You know, the Rothschild didn't, didn't mind in those days they're showing off their Judaism. Although in the Rothschild fashion. You can imagine... <laughs> What the sukkah of Rothschild look like, especially if he's expecting the queen for lunch. His diamonds are gold everywhere, <laughs> right? I mean, you tell me. And the story is that Queen Victoria came in. She said, what is this? And he said, this is, the Bible tells us to recall, this is how our ancestors traveled in 40 years in the desert. And she said, like this? <laughs> you know? And he could have said, Korach traveled like that. Uh so you have the rich Jews, and that would represent the rich sukkah. More than that, you also have different types of gullises. There's those when the Jews have had harsh conditions, and that would be a shvacha, weak sukkah. Jews lived in those countries, maybe for a long time even, but were subject to all kinds of persecutions and restrictions and um, discrimination. And that would be the symbol of the weak shvach sukkah. Uh, it's kosher. It's a Jewish sukkah. It's barely make it. Right? Barely make it. If you want the most extreme example, in my opinion, um, remember there's a Mishnah which says, very interestingly, you know, to my mind, tell you the truth, looking at that Mishnah made me think of this word. Uh, in sukkah, where it says, then you can build a sukkah on a ship. You can even build a sukkah at the top of a ship. I 
it's not going to survive. Because if you have a silk on the conning tower, you know, all the way up at the top, you know, like in the pirate movies all the way at the top, you know, it's exposed to tremendous winds. Not only when it rains, of course, if there's a rain, and then obviously that sukkah's not going to make it. But even when there's a gazunta wind, which you have, and it's so high up, it's not going to make it. But the halach is that it's okay. Because it only has to be able... Remember, those of you who learned sukkah know what I'm talking about. The sukkah, in order to be halachically kosher, simply has to be able to endure... Uh, Abruch Mitsuya Bayabasha, not Bayam. The standard here were being halachically OCD, but oh, that's okay. They won't have a kosher sukkah. The walls have to be sturdy enough that they can stand and won't be knocked down by a normal wind. Obviously, if a powerful wind comes, a hurricane, this, that, and the other, of course, that's going to knock down. That would not invalidate sukkah. If I build a sukkah and a tremendous wind comes, Knocks it down on the third day of sukkahs, Chasvachalilo. I was Makan the midst of sukkah, the first two, three days, because why well, you tell me no, you see, it couldn't stand the wind. No, that's a, not a normal wind. If it could stand a normal wind, it's fine. So, it's a funny din. I'm building a sukkah on a ship, and I know the Chachila, it can't last, because I'm building at the top of the ship. What's it called? Wait, let me see this Mishnah. They just, you're going to laugh at me, but I don't care. You know, I always like to go, they just came out with a new cartoon Mishnah on Sukkah. Not the red one. Another guy, I saw the Shopsies. And I bought it. I'm a sucker for these things. Uh, and where is the Mishnah? Is it the second pair? It's, it has to be unmade. It's at the top. Yeah, here it is. It's in Peric Base. Mishnah Gimel. Host is who costs the Barosha Gola or Barosha Smina Chera. Barosha Smina. At the top of the ship. Not only on the ship. On the deck. But at the top of the ship. Right? Uh, and the Bartonura says, Barosha Smina Shabayam, Shaharuch Sholet is Right? You know. That when you're on the top, like I said, whatever you call it, the conning tower, the watchtower, you know, where the pot, where where, where the uh, lookout looks, it's not going to hold out, right? Not going to hold out in a wind. It doesn't matter. The deer Karina, baby, who should take a cholamad, baruch Since it's good enough for Yabasha, it's good enough for the Yom. So this, as I understand it, symbolizes the sukkah as saying that, you know, there's a Jewish existence in a lot of countries where the Jews had it really tough, and tell you the truth, they couldn't make it. And the long and the short of it, they weren't, they were kind of doomed from day one. Uh, maybe Spain, uh, maybe a lot of places in Italy, come to mind. You know, they couldn't handle, you know, a, a regular one you can handle, but those countries, like in the Middle Ages, you know, Spain, the 15th century, it was just storms. You know what I'm saying? It was not Ruch, uh, you know, Mitsushi Abasha. Hitler, of course, but I'm talking about other times. And yet, at the very same time, we also have other countries, like America, so far, where the sukkah is like Rothschild sukkah. It's a big and fancy schmancy. It doesn't have two and a half walls. It's got four walls. As a matter of fact, now it's got four walls. it got sukkah depot. 
and look at this and look at that. And, you know, my son, I asked last week to find a place in Israel, you know, for, for meals. And among other people, a number of people were kind enough to write in. And one of the people I know, I don't want to say any names, and he sent me, he sent me the thing, uh, a picture, Deluxe, Deluxe, Deluxe. I'm not going to say who and where. Yerushalayim. It's got air conditioning. It's got this. It's got that. In my house, I don't live as good as this guy lives in a sukkah. Right? That's, that, 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 that would represent, you know, Gullises like uh, the Anglo-Saxon countries, generally speaking, where Jews have had a good. And so, I don't want to take too long on this. Maybe I'll pick this up later during Yantav. But I would suggest... If you want to have a very interesting conversation at your table, and that's the reason I'm throwing this out before Yanta. Um, what country do you live in, and what kind of sukkah is it? Would you regard it as a sukkah which is sturdy, a sukkah that's flimsy? Would you regard it as uh, four walls, which means it pretty well, or is it three walls or two walls? Sometimes the absence of walls represents assimilation, exposure to outside cultures. That's another mahalach. But um, would you consider the schach you have? You, know, you can see out, see in. In other words, is America a safe country today? If you're living in Mexico, is that, is that a safe country today? If you live in Australia or in Israel, I'll say it again. Israel better than living in Gullahs, infinitely better. But it, it ain't pushing over there either, as we all know. right? The state of Israel is still a sukkah. We pray every day that you get past the sukkah and be a bias. Correct? We daven every day that Hashem should send Mashiach and this and that and the other or a messianic process, whatever you want. Say that you that there'll be a Ubneosa Binyan Olam. Right? You pray in the Shemanesu for a Binyan Olam. Ladies and gentlemen, a sukkah is not a Binyan Olam. It's the antithesis of Binyan Olam. But sometimes people forget that. We all know the German Jews thought they got it great over here and it'll never change. Perhaps American Jews a generation ago thought the same way. You know, let me put it this way. They confused the sukkah with the binyan olam. They thought what they got is a binyan olam. But a sukkah is not. And the Torah tells you that even when you're living in Israel and you're a binyan olam, don't forget to celebrate the holiday sukkahs. Because guess what? There is no such thing as a binyan olam. Until the final Geula. And those who lived in Bayes Rishon period, and those in Bayes Shani period, and those in the other period now, it's a sukkah. And those who didn't believe it were unfortunately destined to witness the veracity of what I just said, because they lost everything and went into Gullahs. So what they imagined had been a Beirob was a sukkah. These are powerful themes. At least I would suggest it. I think... Depending on who you have at your table, you have some very interesting, um, how should I put, very interesting uh, 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 discussions. I mean, a high level. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not being funny. Of the ultimate meaning of, meaning of sukkahs in its relevance in our day and age. There are many other sukkahs. There's the sukkahs of Kabbalah. There's the sukkahs of Hasidus. There's the sukkahs of Yonis and Apeshitz. I'm serious. I mean, you know, there's the sukkahs of Leona Modena and uh, Azariah Figo. Sukkahs had a lot of treatment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the one that I just went. The sukkah is a symbol of the Jewish condition 
in every day and age and in this day and age. Anyway, it's just a few ideas. And for those of you who don't see, have a, have a uh, good yanto, and I hope we'll uh, be able to get together um, through the podcast on Cholmoy. If I have time tomorrow, I'll try to send out the bio. And once again, I want to thank Stefanski's and wish everybody a good yanto. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.